Hello, and welcome to The Parents Place, a podcast put out by The Family Place for parents to develop skills that will strengthen families and provide tools that will help each of us in our parenting efforts. No matter our skills, we can always use reminders that help us work towards a safer, happier home. I'm your host, Jennifer Daly, the Education Director at The Family Place, and my co-host is Sarah Hendricks, a family educator at The Family Place. Every week, we will interview professionals that will provide valuable information that will make a difference when you apply it directly to your life. Thank you for joining us. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Parents Place podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Hendricks. And I'm your co-host, Jen Daly. Today we have a pretty hard topic that we're wanting to cover, and we're going to try our best to do it with sensitivity, but also we want to be real and carry a real conversation. And the topic is about suicide. The month of September is Suicide Prevention Month, and so we want to get this in and bring more awareness to this topic. So today we have with us Curtis Snellgrove, and he's been on the podcast before. So Curtis, would you like to do a little introduction? Yeah, so I am the Mental Health First Aid Project Director here at The Family Place. I've been doing that for almost three years, originally from the booming metropolis of Camas, Utah. (laughs) (laughs) Booming? It's a really small town if you're not familiar with it, but I live here in Cache Valley, been here with my wife since 2007, and we love it here. Love being part of The Family Place and making a difference in the community, and really passionate about mental illness and all things related to it, including crises um, related to mental illness, such as suicide and and suicide awareness, suicide prevention. So happy to be here. Well, welcome, Curtis. We're excited to have you here on our podcast today. And this is a topic that I know both Sarah and I are passionate about as well and want to do everything that we can do to bring awareness to suicide and hopefully get some tips and some information that will help us if there's someone in our lives that is struggling with suicidal thoughts. So I think the first thing that we should just dive into is just talking about the relevance. Why is this relevant and why do we need to talk about it? I think about like my mom even talking to her about suicide and she's like, oh, that doesn't very happen very often. Why do we need to talk about it anyways? Kind of a thing. And So I think the more relevant we can make it and that this is an issue that we need to talk about, hopefully the more people will have conversations about this and especially with their children so that they can make sure that they're healthy. Yeah, absolutely. There's things that for me personally, it just seems like over the past three years since I've been in this position, that it is something that it's a lot more relevant that I hear about more frequently I completely acknowledge that could be because I am now in a realm and in a position for work where I do talk about it and I interact with individuals, not only just with what I do here at the family place, but I also am part of the Suicide Prevention Coalition here in Cache County. And so I'm in the thick of it. You know, I hear a lot about it. However, I really do believe that not just because I'm in the thick of it, but because it is something that is being more prevalent it is happening more frequently. I do have a couple of statistics just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea. When the grant that we got that we're using for mental health first aid, when the proposal was written, so this is statistics from pre-2018, I'm guessing probably 2017, 
The national rate for suicide was 15.3 per 100,000 individuals, and Cache and Rich County at that time was 18.9 per 100,000 people. Uh, we don't have the specific updated statistics for Cash and Rich County, but in the United States, in 2019, the rate was 13.9 per 100,000 people. So a little less from that original statistic, but that's combined both men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the trajectory, though, of that scale is they are increasing ever since as early back as 1999 to 2019. So 20 years worth and how it just keeps increasing. It's still going up. However, one statistic for Utah, 2017 to 2019, the rate was 22.0. And, and suicide is the leading cause of death for age groups 10 to 17 and 18 to 24 in that same time period. So not, are we just looking at, when you look at statistics with mental illness, with the crises surrounding mental illness, they have these various age groups. And so for Utah, it's two of those age groups that is the leading cause of death is suicide. So it is prevalent and it is something that I would say is increasing and we want to do something to kind of reverse that. Well, before we were recording, I just looked quick Google search on the CDC and, you know, in 2019, I believe it said 47,500. And I'm a visual person, so I like to say, well, what fits that many people? Because we're like, okay, we have, I mean, how many people live in the United States? Millions of people. So we're like, oh, 47,000 people, considering the millions that we have. I can see someone's mind going that way. And so I like to have a visual. And so looking up what fits 47,000, and that's a college football arena, is that's how many people die by suicide in one year. And that is just, that's a lot of people. But then it affects even more than that. So you have the parents, the siblings, the aunts, the uncles, the friends. It's just this big ripple effect that suicide has an effect on. And that was kind of sobering for me, just to put it into a visual thing. And then the next statistic that I read on there was just in the last two decades, 800,000 people have died by suicide. It's a lot of people and a lot of ripple effects. So definitely see that this is a conversation that we need to have and hopefully bring awareness to so that those numbers can start to decrease. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that too. And one of the, I, I attended a meeting training uh, last week that was about again suicide and, and the impact that we can have. And it was is through uh, SAMHSA was the entity that put that together. And they shared this that one in twenty people will lose someone they know in any given year to suicide, and one in five people will lose someone they know at some point in their life. And so I really. I'm grateful also that you brought that thought up, Jen, that it's not just the individual, but it's that ripple effect of the individuals that are around them, you know, siblings, parents, grandparents, friends, neighbors, you name it, coworkers. It's, it impacts so many more people. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a sobering thing to think that, okay, so chances are is not if, but when. Mm -hmm. I look back on my life and there's been three people that have died by suicide that I have known. One from kindergarten all the way through middle school, we were friends. And another one that I met in middle school and in high school, 
he died by suicide. And then I just recently had a cousin that their daughter died by suicide. And it affects you. I mean, I didn't, I had met my cousin's daughter once and it affected me a lot more than I thought. Just, I think the heartache and the pain that she must have been in in that moment and really affected me. So it does. I mean, my lifetime has been three so far. And so one in five of not a matter of if, just when. I think it goes to show how important this conversation is, Mm -hmm. that we need to be open and honest in these conversations and not just kind of look at it as, oh, it happens to other people. It'll never happen to us because you just never know. And so we need to understand signs and symptoms in the people we surround ourselves with that we can recognize if those changes are happening and what we can do to hopefully prevent anything from happening in the future. So I know we've done other episodes on mental health awareness, both for adults and for youth. And we've talked about signs and symptoms, but can you maybe give us some more information on that, on how to recognize if suicide is on the table for somebody? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one thing that I think is very interesting is to see the parallels between multiple diagnoses of mental illness and also the crises that are related to mental illness. Like, it doesn't matter if you're talking about depression or anxiety or things that may cause a panic attack to happen or suicidal thoughts, you know, that there's so many parallels. One thing that was shared with me that I would say is maybe a little bit more of an obvious sign. It, maybe that's not what I really want to say is obvious. Is It's a little bit more in the open, I guess, is when you notice that there is a change in somebody's life. And the change meaning they're not, quote unquote, the same as they used to be, you know? Like if you know that they are like a normal, happy, outgoing individual, and then you notice that little by little they start changing to where they're a lot more reserved and they're withdrawing from social events and friends and family and just keeping to themselves completely. That's, that can be a sign. It can be things like sadness. It can be things like crying. It can be pain that they feel, you know, it's this big change that you can normally see in their behaviors. And, and just because somebody experiences something like that does not necessarily mean that they are going to have suicidal thoughts. But if you start noticing that it's impacting their ability to, to live their life, to have a meaningful relationship, to to hold a job, to be able to go to school and and excel in school and those types of things. That's what I would say are some of the more open situations and circumstances of those signs and symptoms where you would maybe want to say, I'm going to embrace the discomfort and I'm going to start talking to somebody about observations I'm noticing, you know, but then you get into more specific signs and symptoms and, and even more detailed and Some of them are, again, a little bit more in the open, a little bit more obvious, but then there are others that are really hard to pick up on. We, when we teach mental health first aid, we do this exercise called myths and facts. And one of the myths that we share is that um, suicide happens without warning. And that's, it's kind of a myth, but a fact at the same time. (laughs) Generally speaking, there are many signs that are given. It's more so somebody else's or our ability to be able to recognize those signs and symptoms. But it does and has happened without warning. So generally speaking, yes, there are things that we can look for. But we also need to understand that there may be things that we won't be able to see. Some of the things that I would say maybe a little bit more of the common ones that have been reported are things like giving away prized possessions. Like not necessarily like, okay, (laughs) 
I think about my daughter and when we tell her to clean her room. And she's like, okay, I'm going to give away all my stuff to my brother because then I don't have to put it away. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about like you have like a loved pet that has been your life and you give it to somebody to take care of. Or, you know, maybe it's a baseball card that your grandpa gave you or a car or it's not. It's not necessarily anything huge or big. It can be something really small, but more so is it that deeply sentimental item that they're giving away. That can be a big red flag. Another thing that can be a sign that somebody may be contemplating suicide is having a drastic change in mood. And that can be a positive or a negative change. So I remember being taught this and when I learned this fact is it made sense to me that if somebody was happy and then they had a drastic change in mood to become more negative and loss of hope and not really having meaning in life, not feeling loved, those types of things. Like that made sense to me that that would be a sign that they may be contemplating suicide. But it also goes the other way as well. So if there is an individual that has been depressed and feeling down, feeling like there's no meaning to life, and then they have a drastic change in mood where like the sun is out, everything is great, you know, birds are chirping, rainbows are in the <laughs> whatever it may be. Like that can be a huge sign as well. The reason why that is a sign is because an individual that may be contemplating suicide and maybe they've been contemplating that for a long time, it weighs on them and it weighs on them so much to the point that when they make a decision, it will manifest in an outward way that they're quote unquote better, that they're cured. So that's a huge sign to be aware of. If you know of somebody that has shown that, then that's the time to have a conversation. And it really just, we could go on and on and on to talk and list out all these different signs or symptoms that an individual may be experiencing. But in my opinion, that would be a never ending list. And so what I would recommend is be aware. I mean, Google it, right? Take our mental health first aid class, you know, or take a QPR class, like do things to help educate you so that you can help with that fact of an individual that may be contemplating suicide gives many signs and have us be able to be attuned to it, to be able to recognize it and then take that action to help them and to have that conversation. I think the biggest thing is if you're around somebody that your gut is telling you something's off, then act on that. And don't just say in your mind of, no, I, there's no way they're such a good person or they have standards and values or whatever ideas we come up with for why there's no way somebody might attempt suicide. Set all of that aside. If your gut is telling you something feels off carry a conversation with that person and check in and be real. To me, having that conversation is more of a sign for you giving them that I care about you, that I'm here for you. And yes, maybe we're totally off base, but that doesn't matter. That at least shows that person that you are a safe person to come to and talk to about it, that you care about them. And I am just thinking, even if we are wrong, just have that conversation. I could not agree more. Like you said, and, and Sarah, I know you and I have talked recently about this too, that, you know, we have thoughts, in my opinion, we have thoughts for a reason. Like our gut, our instinct, whatever you want to call it, or conscience, you know, whatever. Like we have those thoughts come to us for a reason. And if you have any thought about that, like I look at this, like what's the worst that can happen? Okay. 
my mind kind of putting it in a little bit of a scenario. So they're not feeling suicidal and you act on it. They know they care about you, just like you said, Jen. Like they know that you are somebody that they can have a difficult conversation with about whatever, you know, like there are a lot of difficult conversations to have and it's not just suicide. And so when we say, hey, I care about you, I have noticed these things. If they're not feeling that way, they know and that's reinforced. It's building and strengthening that relationship. If they are, then you now know and you're able to help them as much as you can along that path to be able to get the help that they're needing and what they're experiencing right then. So I I love it and I couldn't agree more. Like act on those feelings. Trust your gut, trust your instinct because if you genuinely just care about somebody, your instincts are going to serve you so much better than you give them credit for. And it's a hard thing to do though. Like it's hard, it's hard to put yourself out there to say, uh, okay, I'm going to go talk to this person that I really care about because I've noticed some things, but it's really uncomfortable to talk about. But I also want to maybe put this thought, this is something that I have told myself that I feel like it's helped me embrace that discomfort with those conversations is what is the potential outcome and what am I okay with? Am I okay embracing that discomfort right now to be able to be with that person one more day, one more minute? one more year to know who their family's going to be, their kids are going to be, what they're going to accomplish, everything. Or am I more willing to avoid the discomfort and then have to go through that grief of somebody possibly not being in your life again? I remember there was a time a couple of years ago, I had a friend, really good friend. She called me up crying and I said, what's going on? She says, I'm just calling to say goodbye. I'm packing up my stuff and I'm going. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. To me, that was one of those big flags of, okay. So it was like swallowing, taking a deep breath and saying, are you talking about taking your own life? And she's like, oh no, Jen, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was saying goodbye because I'm moving to Florida. Well, for me, it was I live here in Utah. She lives in Arizona. And I'm like, why are you, I haven't seen you in 10 years. We've talked, but I haven't seen you. So why would you call to say goodbye? We can still talk with you in Florida. But I would have rather had that conversation. So I could have done something in that moment, even though I was wrong to help her in that moment. And we ended up, we did have a really hard conversation. She was getting a divorce and having to move and it was an awful divorce, but it was just a conversation to where I was there, a listening ear for her to help her during that time. So conversations are, they can be so hard, but they're so important and can be so beneficial on so many levels. And I think for kids, especially teenagers, we need to have those conversations on a regular basis. I mean, not necessarily, I think, are you contemplating suicide or things like that, but just so that they know that you can come, they can come to you for hard conversations, but also that they know that you love them. Having a conversation with a coworker earlier this week of, and about, about suicide in teens and about how they think. You know, in that moment, they may think that no one loves them. And that is enough to have them make their final decision. And I just think how further from the truth that can be. But developmentally, it's an all or nothing kind of thing for teens. Or they just don't understand it or they don't hear it enough. And so the more that we can tell people we care about them, the better off we're going to be, especially with those teenagers and young kids that some of the reasons why they contemplate suicide is because they don't feel loved and they don't feel like there's someone there. 
And I think we also need to consider how that child feels loved. Because、mm-hmm. as parents, we might think, there's no way my child doesn't feel loved. But if they're not receiving it the way you're reciprocating it, then that makes a difference for them. Those five love languages that we talked about earlier、yeah. on another podcast applies to kids and teens too. We need to talk in their love language. So some kids may, it may be us sitting down and talking to them. Some just may need a hug every once in a while. Some may need to go out and do a good activity together. So, really make sure that you're talking in their love language so that they understand that you do love and care for them. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think even as adults, you know, there are things that we need to make sure that we understand. I mean, definitely the youth and the children as well. But even as adults, there are times that we just need to be aware of realizing that everybody expresses their emotions, their feelings, their love you know, in different ways. And that we need to be sensitive to. How we express, but also how we receive that, and how others express and how they receive it. Just like you were saying, the, the basics of this love language. And because it's such a hard and a real thing, and we don't know exactly what somebody else is going through. And unless we have that conversation with them to let them know that it's okay to not have to know exactly what they're going through, but they don't have to go through it alone. Like we can go, we could go down in the muck with them and trudge along. To hold their hand, to put their, our arm around them, you know, to find out more about them and help them see that they are cared for. Knowing that there may be circumstances that, despite our best efforts, it, we may not have the desired outcome that we are hoping or expecting for. I like how you said sitting in the muck with them. I think that's sitting in the muck with them does not mean we're solving anything for them. But that's what I think lots of people need is just someone to sit there and say, man. That is hard, and I don't know how to fix it, but I'm here for you, and I'm here to listen and do what you need me to do. I think, and you're absolutely right, and I think that sometimes it's a hard thing to, to decide to do, right? Like, like to be able to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be vulnerable, or I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here, or whatever it may be, but to just start that conversation, even if that conversation is just this, you know what, that does suck.、Mm-hmm. I don't know the pain you're going through. I don't know what you've experienced. You know, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard step to take. But that's what empathy is. It's not necessarily, I think everybody thinks I need to have had that same experience, that exact experience to feel empathy for someone. And that's not the case. We all feel sadness. We all feel, you know, despair and all of those. We need to be able to connect with that feeling, not necessarily the experience. Connect with the feeling, and we're going to be able to help that person because we all know those feelings. We've all felt them. That's what I was thinking is just we as humans are always looking for that connection. And so, in those moments of vulnerability, we need that connection and we need to feel validated in what we're going through. Not helping, not fixing,、right. validated. Because that's my thing is I want to fix, <laughs> I want to take away pain from people.、Mm. But that doesn't validate their feelings. Yeah, when we're trying to fix it, then we're not feeling validated. We're just feeling they don't understand. And so it's not helping by trying to help, <laughs> yeah. essentially. And it's hard for fixers to sit back and say, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to feel with them. And it takes practice, but us fixers, we can do it. <laughs> So, Curtis, let's say that we know somebody who has plans for suicide, or we've had that open conversation with them and we know that that's kind of on their radar. 
what do we do? How do we, I mean, we talked about validating, but obviously we need to take it a step further in helping. So what can you tell us? I would say probably the first thing again, and, and I speak a lot and use the phrase of embrace the discomfort. <laughs> so it's like just another opportunity to embrace the discomfort. Like if you know, and the conversations, they go different ways at different times, different circumstances. But what I would suggest is you definitely want to make sure that you're asking directly about their thoughts, about what they're feeling, like asking them, are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you having thoughts of killing yourself? Are you having thoughts of hurting yourself? Because one, that's going to give us a definitive answer. And two, it actually asking an individual, like research has shown time and time again, that asking an individual directly, are you having thoughts of suicide? It actually will act as a deterrent, not an encouragement to take action. And that is a huge myth that, well, I don't want to put that idea in their head, or I don't want to like say something that's going to make them take that action. And so I'm not going to ask that question. Again, the research has shown time and time again that that is a huge myth. When we ask directly, it gives them an opportunity to let them know that somebody's willing to talk to them about the pain and anguish that they're feeling. Or if it's not pain and anguish, the different experiences that they're having at that point in time of what they're going through. And so be direct and ask the question and take it a step further. If they answer that question, especially if they say, yeah, yeah, I am. Take a moment to thank them. It's a terrifying thing. Okay, honestly speaking, when I think about you know my kids or my wife or my siblings or my parents or somebody that is really close to me that I may be the one in five we talked about earlier and that I ask them the question, are you having thoughts of suicide? It terrifies me to think about what that might be like because what if the answer is yes? But again, I would much rather be and experience that moment, that time of, of discomfort and have them here with me tomorrow than to not act on that. But if we're nervous because of what the answer might be, I can't imagine what they're going through and what they're feeling like to say, yeah, I am. And so if they do say that, I would recommend like thanking them for having the courage to express truthfully what they're going through. You know, we need to also ask them further where they're at. Like, do you have a plan? Have you gathered means? Like those types of things. Because if there is an answer in the affirmative of any of those other questions to know that, yeah, they're in this process right now, we need to get them help. Like we need to connect them with a professional. If that looks like 911 and calling dispatch and asking for somebody that's been trained in mental health response or taking them to the emergency room or calling a place like the Family Place or Bear River Mental Health or any other you know therapy provider and letting them know that you're in a crisis moment, using the Safe UT app, something like that, then we can know and we can get them help in that moment. So that's what I would maybe recommend is just like break that ice and it's really uncomfortable for that moment, for that minute, and then just go with it because the conversation that will come out of that in the way that, that it can flow can be very beneficial in helping them make sure that they are okay and that they'll be safe and they'll be here tomorrow too. I think being willing to sit there with them as they go through that, if you're going to call 911, sit there with them. If you're going to take them to the ER, then go with them. Because again, that's just going to solidify that connection between you and that person and knowing that you're a safe person to come to and that you're going to care and follow through. Lots of times in life we say, yeah, we care, but then life gets busy and we start doing other things and 
things get lost. But in these kinds of situations, we need to make sure that we stick to it and we go with them. Do you need me to go with you to therapy the first time? Because that can be scary. I can make arrangements to go with you for that. If you have that flexibility, I just think being that person and I just go back to that teenager not thinking that anyone loves them. And was on a call this past week with one of the writers of ARC, which is Attachment Regulation and Competency, the framework that we use here at the Family Place, Christine. And she said, if we can just get people past that moment, that minute, then we can really move forward. And I just liked how she said, we just need to get past that moment because we all have crappy stuff in our lives, hard things, things that aren't fun, things that put us in that muck, but just getting past that moment. Well, yeah, it makes me think of when you take a tiny little pebble and you hold it right up to your eye, you can't see around it. That tiny pebble is the only thing you can focus on. But if you pull it out and pull it away, you can see around the pebble and see everything else. And so getting through that moment, that moment is right in our eye and we can't see around it. But if we can pull it back, we can see there's so much more to life than this one moment that is leading to these big permanent decisions. Mm -hmm. They may not be able to see past that pebble to see all of the great things that may be coming on in their life. I go back to teens because it's just so much life that's not lived and so many great opportunities that come of having babies be born, having, you know, I don't know, maybe your favorite sports car that you wanted to drive or that wife or that husband that's going to come along. I mean, you just never know. Or the great discovery that only you can discover. And so, yeah, there's so much great. There's a lot of pain, but there's definitely a lot more good things. We just need to pull that pebble out a little bit so we can see it. Yeah. I like what you said, too, is we need to pull that pebble out just a little bit. You know, because if we're thinking about, like, in that circumstance, in that, in that time, Sometimes it may be really hard for somebody to see past five minutes from that moment. That or take in all of what could yeah. come. They just need a little bit of hope. Exactly. And so if, if we can give them that hope to say, okay, let's make it to five more minutes. Let's make it to 10. Let's make it to 15. And little by little growing, because you're absolutely right. I remember this last year, we were privileged to do a, um, a video series on suicide awareness and prevention. And some of these individuals that we interviewed that had been impacted by suicide in different ways, one of them said, like, we, like, we want to know who your kids are going to be. Like, we want you here tomorrow. Like, we want you in our lives. And we do. And for those that may be listening, I just maybe want to put this plug real quick. For those of you that may be listening, that may be feeling this way at any time in your life, maybe not right now, maybe you have in the past, maybe you will in the future, I don't know. But I don't know you, but I want you here tomorrow. Tomorrow needs you. Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, my husband was part of that video series, and I just think I tease him. I'm just grateful for you to be here because if you would have completed your thought of suicide, you wouldn't have met me. <laughs> and I'm pretty fabulous for you to have met. So <laughs> I just think, yeah, just we need a, a little bit of hope. And I'm grateful that he's still here so that we did meet. 
and we have the life that we do now together, For which sure. hopefully is a good life, can have some rough moments, but at least we're in it together. One other thought that keeps coming to me in regards to teens and that statistic that you shared way in the beginning of the episode about it being the number one leading cause of death ages 10 to 18. Is that right? So, yeah, so there are two age groups, so 10 to 17 and then 18 to 24. So really 10 to 24. So it's number 24. one of both of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I just think research shows the brain is not fully developed until age 25. Some studies even say age 28. And that's the number one cause of death for these teens and preteens and young adults is suicide. And when you just think about that pebble in their eye, they can't see around it. That is their world, you know, and their brain is underdeveloped to even process beyond that. And so we really do need to take this seriously and be aware of what's happening around us and really try to reach out. Really educate ourselves on their perspective. Because I always like that quote as well. People's perspective is their reality. Even though it may not be what everyone else sees, it's their perspective and that's what they believe to be true. Yeah. Okay, before we wrap up, do you have any last words that you would like to share, Curtis? Yeah, there's um, actually just wanted to maybe share just a couple of resources specifically, but then also just a thought. So the first resource I want to share with you is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So... This is a great resource if you're living inside the United States, Um, but the number is 800-273-8255. I would recommend even just putting that in your phone as a contact because then it'll be just ready in that moment if you need it. If you're in the state of Utah, I know there's also the Safe UT app that can be very beneficial. They just changed it so it's for both adults and youth now as well instead of just youth, so it's a great resource. But... If you're not in the area, I would encourage you to like research what are some of those resources that you can be able to, to utilize in that moment. The other comment that I just wanted to make is, um, we've been talking about this really heavy topic, and I just wanted to just address anybody that has or in the future may experience a loss of somebody that they know to suicide, especially if they're close, that please know that you're not alone. Please know that there are individuals there are entities that are here to help talk to somebody please it doesn't have to be a professional it doesn't have to be any big wondrous thing that you need to do but just encourage you to be open with somebody to be able to process what you're experiencing so that you can continue on in your life because we also want you here and fully here in our lives tomorrow so Please, if you have or, or are one of those individuals, those one in five, I mean, sometime in your life, talk to somebody and, and keep going. We're here for you. Um, I know there are a lot of others and a lot of entities out there here for you as well. well we want to thank you, Curtis, for joining us today, talking about a very hard topic, but a very important topic. And hopefully this helps us just be a little bit more aware and being willing to be that person for someone We stress a lot on the starfish story here at the Family Place, and we can make the difference for one person. And that doesn't apply just to people at Family Place, that applies to everybody. So be that one that makes a difference for someone. If you would like to contact Sarah or myself, you can email us at parents at thefamilyplaceutah.org 
or you can reach us on social media. On Facebook, you can reach myself, Jen Daly, dash The Family Place. Or Sarah Hendricks, dash The Family Place. We hope that you have a great week. We challenge you to just take a moment and think if you could be that person for someone. And if not, getting ourselves ready to be in a place to where we could be the one for someone. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. The Family Place is a nonprofit organization in Logan, Utah, with a mission to strengthen families and protect children. We call ourselves Starfish Throwers. If you're unsure what that means, refer back to our introduction episode where we explain it. The good news is you can be a Starfish Thrower too by subscribing to the Parents Place podcast and liking our social media pages. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with others and help us get our message out to more people. Also, be sure to check the show notes for links to information referenced in this episode. That's all for now, but we'll catch you again next time on The Parents' Place.